Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Six more countries have joined the BRICS. How will the mechanism better represent the global south and promote more equitable and just global governance? Welcome to World Today, the panel discussion with Mika Anna in Beijing. The BRICS have welcomed six new members from three different continents to join the group of emerging economies. The countries are Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Their membership will take effect on January 1st. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa made the announcement on the final day of the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Chinese President Xi Jinping held the outcomes of the summit, emphasizing the increasing relevance of emerging countries in the international arena, highlighting the summit's role in shaping a new global economic and political order. What will the expanded bloc bring to the international stage? How could they collectively shape the global economic and political landscape? To delve into this, we are joined by Chen Weihua, Chief of China Daily EU Bureau and a former Chief Correspondent of Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Anna, for having me. And Pearl Butelezi, South African journalist. Welcome. Hi. And Swaran Singh, Professor of International Relations at Jawaharlal Nehru University. Great to have you, Professor. Hello. Thank you. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Starting from the first foreign ministers' meeting during the UN General Assembly back in 2006, the BRICS cooperation has entered its 17th year. From its initially uncertain prospects to widespread attention today, and this time over 50 countries were represented in Johannesburg. Then, how do you view the BRICS mechanism? Weihua, let me start with you. What makes this summit stand out compared to the previous ones? Well, I think、uh, this is a really very unusual. I mean, summit、uh, pivotal year. I would say one of the reason is that the world today is、uh, starkly different from seventeen、uh, years ago, sixteen years ago, or even just a few years ago. Actually, if you look,、uh, we just passed three years of、uh, pandemic, and there was a.、Uh, Basically, armed conflict in Europe、um, between Russia and Ukraine, which involved the NATO country and U.S.、Uh, supplying weapons, and、uh, we have global economic challenges collectively because the global South is increasingly dissatisfied with the so-called.、Uh, What West described the rule-based、uh, international order system, which privileged the、uh, West, I mean, underprivileged the global South, I would say, and they increasingly demand a more fair and just system. So that is why BRICS gaining so much more attention. I'm、uh, so glad、uh, South African President、uh, Ramaphosa announced、uh, the invitation of six new members.、Uh, they will be formally admitted January first next year, and that's、uh, great news because uh, that's uh, the first、uh, expansion. South Africa itself uh, uh, joined twelve,、uh, thirteen years ago. So I think、uh, this shows、uh, vitality and the great、uh, potential of uh, this uh, organization. I think、uh, I would just quote what uh, President uh, Ramaphosa uh, said on Twitter: "BRICS is a diverse group of nations. It is an equal partnership of countries that have different views." But a shared vision for a better world, and that very in stark contrast to like G7, which is basically a U.S. dictated group. I mean, they wouldn't say make a sound of Japan's discharge of nuclear waste water into the Pacific Ocean today, and because they would abandon principle simply because they are a manipulated group. I mean, the BRICS strength is because they showed that. Countries with different views, different system, actually can not just coexist but cooperate and in developing in multiple areas.、Mm-hmm. Professor Singh, what's your take? In what ways does this summit differ from previous ones, and what sets it apart in terms of its impact and results? I agree with the, the comments made by previous speaker. 
I think BRICS in many ways uh, is an innovative and a novel organization that represents uh, 21st century kind of uh, groupings that we require today. Normally, 19th century global governance was driven by pure crude power of military alliances of colonial powers. 20th century global governance that saw two world wars and Great Depression resulted in international organizations which had a fixed membership, fixed secretariat and fixed constitution. And now I think the world is moving towards networks and groupings which are rather flexible. And it is agility of these groupings which is their strength. And as the previous speaker just mentioned, these are countries that are sometimes seen as uh, dis separated in that sense of uh, different sizes. In fact, I often say China's GDP today is uh, three to four times compared to rest of the BRICS put together. Uh, but nevertheless, there is an interesting connect that they have. A, as Jim O'Neill originally identified, that these are all seen as emerging economies. And second, that they also represent as a hub or a kind of a leading voice in their own region in pushing themes of development and similar initiatives. And in that sense, that agility and flexibility is uh, very visible in terms of their very candid discussions that BRICS leaders are able to have. Uh, and uh, with that larger vision of, uh, for example, overall understanding that all these countries want to ensure uh, de-dollarization over a period of time, and they don't want extensive excessive dependence on dollar which has sometimes been weaponized increasing effort to bring in and invoke local currencies second they also have overarching consensus on principles standards procedures protocols of expansion expansion is a must because we now know that at least last count said 43 nations want to engage and work with BRICS 23 of them have actually applied for formal membership. So there is enormous enthusiasm, which means enormous credibility for BRICS nations that they are seen as an alternative, innovative 21st century platform, which right from beginning has aimed in creating spaces for least developed, developing and emerging economies, which is a space that they don't find in post-World War II arrangements of either Britain Woods or WTO or G7 where the United States and its friends and allies have really been virtually capturing uh, the decision-making. And even over the years, when the world has changed, we now see that uh, most of the Asia-Pacific economies are the drivers of global growth. But Britain Woods institutions have not been able to give them enough space. So therefore, this alternative idea of creating platform for these developed, developing and emerging economies is where this enormous interest of several countries is very visible among BRICS. How BRICS responds to that? They basically have shown a very clear understanding that they all want to work towards reformation of multilateralism, which means decision-making should be allowing space to the global South countries as well. They want to work on expansion of their membership. They want to work on de-dollarization. How the brass techs, how the nitty-gritties of these work out, how much time they take, whether they take much more flexible approach like the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, not just make few members, but also make few other countries as dialogue partners, observers, special invitees. That kind of special innovative approach is possible to reciprocate fundamentally to the enthusiasm that so many countries are showing trying to work with BRICS. So in that sense, yes, there are uh, challenges, there are disjunctions. But I see BRICS as an enormous uh, potential for all the member countries that are today working in BRICS. And very quickly, my last point, for India, BRICS is very critical. And why I am saying so, India has lately been focusing on a shift from what was known as non-alignment to multi-alignment, which means building strategic partnership in as many sectors with as many countries as possible while ensuring strategic autonomy of India's foreign policy. And therefore, to demonstrate that strategic autonomy of India's foreign policy, India has to constantly stay engaged and active in organizations like Shanghai Cooperation Organization or BRICS, which is a reflection that India is not just interested in building partnerships with the United States and the European allies of United States, 
but equally strong partnerships india is trying to build and has built with all other countries including china russia eurasian nations middle east nations and that kind of demonstration of strategic autonomy also requires india to be fully engaged uh, with the brics uh, meetings and uh, that is very visible in the kind of bonhomie and physical chemistry that indian leadership has shown and received uh, in reciprocation from all the all the brics nations and i believe that bonhomie and vision i think that is more important than how specific concrete decisions they are able to arrive in this summit or in the coming summits Yes, as South African President Cyril Ramaphosa tweeted, "BRICS is an equal partnership of countries that have different views but a shared vision for a better world." Pearl, what's your take? What distinguishes this summit from its predecessors in terms of significance and outcomes, based on your observation? Well, I think this time around we are seeing BRICS evolve in a major way. When you look at what was on the table or on the agenda for the leaders as well as the participants that were at this、uh, summit that's just wrapping up now in Johannesburg,、uh, you look at,、uh, I mean, some of the speakers or the speakers before me have touched on this issue of expansion, as well as.、Uh, You know the common currency topic that was,、um, you know, I think the buzzword coming to the summit. And so, for myself, I was looking forward to seeing. How、uh, these discussions will be handled, and we've just seen now with the final declaration in Johannesburg delivered、uh, by South African President Pres-、uh, Cyril Ramaphosa,、uh, as well as、uh, announcing officially that BRICS will expand starting from the first of January, twenty twenty-four, where new members will be welcomed. And we see when you look at the the members that、um, have been.、Um, Invited to join BRICS,、um, they represent different regions,、uh, which is still in line with um, uh, with uh, the vision of BRICS as to you know be inclusive and also focus on ensuring that uh, more. Uh, Uh, countries on the global south, especially those that are developing in the regions that are, are really uh, developing, uh, are included in this、uh, multilateral platform where we want or where BRICS wants to promote um, uh, eco- global economic development, peace, security, and cooperation. So I know we'll touch on them later on and and the and the significance. Of having these uh, uh, countries, two from Africa, we have、uh, two from the Middle East, as well as、um, uh, one from South America,、mm-hmm. uh, and so this is very important. I think、uh, an, an important development because、uh, it, it shows that this uh, uh, grouping is evolving in a major way that will have far-reaching impact、uh, going forward. As f- even for generations,、um, the issue on Of of the currency, even though there wasn't an agreement or discussions on creating a common currency as many people had anticipated, but、uh, there was a discussion on how do BRICS countries or member states conduct business in a way that will facilitate their trade and、uh, interconnectivity. Going forward, so there is uh, this uh, working group that will undertake the job of、uh, investigating, researching, and then putting together proposals in terms of、uh, having a financial system that will help facilitate trade amongst countries, moving away from、um, depending or relying heavily on the dollar, which has created many challenges、uh, for many countries that are in the global south and. And have suffered、um, issues such as sanctions and so on. So now this is an opportunity for them to come in and be able to work using their currencies. We heard、uh, Dilma Ousof, the president of the New Development Bank, 
saying that this is what they are working on. This is the new development bank, which was created by BRICS uh, that helps countries with funding in terms of pursuing uh, um, infrastructure development and, and uh, other developmental uh, agendas that they have so that to help countries in building um, their economies because most of the countries or many of the countries that have actually express interest in joining uh, BRICS. There are countries that are facing serious issues in terms of uh, economic development, especially coming out of this uh, uh, crisis that we just had in terms of the global economic crisis, as well as um, the COVID, the impacts of COVID. So many countries are looking at uh, BRICS as a way of uh, gaining that support in, in lifting themselves up and supporting their, uh, um, their population and uh, in, in, in reaching for prosperity. So those are the issues that I was looking forward to and I found what came out of uh, the discussions very interesting and uh, it'll be also a, an interesting watch going forward to see how these decisions that came out of BRICS impact the parties or the onlookers that were kind of hesitant or doubtful of uh, this group which seems to be growing even bigger and more influential now. Mm -hmm. This time, the gathering has garnered a great level of international attention. Weihua, earlier you mentioned about the media coverage during the summit. It's not difficult to observe that there are two completely different voices regarding the BRICS. On the one hand, Western media attempts to portray BRICS as an anti-West or authoritarian alliance of nations. While on the other hand, there is immense enthusiasm and anticipation from the global south towards BRICS cooperation. What has led to this seemingly contrasting viewpoints? Yeah, that's uh, not a surprise to me because, uh, I mean, the Western media have for long portrayed uh, China in that way. I mean, China... Uh, they always say China want to topple the global system, whatever. That's not true. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the global south, I mean, the China included, are dissatisfied with the current global order and they want to improve it. I think for anyone with common sense, everything must involve with the time. That's just common sense, and whether for developing country, developed country. So I think that's what China wants, the global south and the BRICS want to make the global system more fair and just for everyone, not just the rich nation, but also the developing nation, especially in the global south, who didn't get to participate in uh, formulating the system after the Second World War. And many of them were at the time still colonized of the Western colonial powers. So I think this is not anti-West. Actually, the diff sharp contrast of BRICS, it's inclusive, uh, you know, organization compared with G7 is more exclusive, I would say. Uh, so that's a sharp uh, difference. Why, I mean, the BRICS resonate so much with the global south, as the previous speaker, Professor Singh and Pro mentioned. You know, so many want to apply and six actually being approved. That's amazing because just listen to what the Western media said. They say, oh, they cannot agree on this because China, India, Brazil, others have different views on the expansion. Now, I mean, analysis shows that actually BRICS with different views have a common vision and they actually can agree. And that shows the greater potential. I mean, yes, it takes time for a lot of issue. But I think uh, the fact that, uh, you know, previous uh, speakers mentioned that the BRICS, I mean, are major economy in China, India, for example, are will be, according to IMF, World Bank, the two fastest growing major economies this year and contributing to combined 80% of the global growth this year. So that's huge. And according to PPP, all these five countries, I mean, I mean, South Africa's economy relatively smaller, but the four others are all among the top 10 or top six economies these days. And so, and by 2050, I mean, the six countries just being admitted, I mean, are middle powers uh, in Western terms, but they are major uh, economy 
uh, in the global south in the developing world and uh, so and their importance are only going to grow i mean in the coming decades Mm, Professor Singh, what factors, in your opinion, have fueled the contradictory narratives surrounding the breaks in media coverage? Very simple, I think. Uh, the fact that uh, the rise of uh, these countries, which are part of BRICS, and the enthusiasm of large number of countries trying to join BRICS nations uh, is an indication that uh, much of the world is looking for alternatives uh, other than being governed by. Uh, former colonial powers and United States and some of its allies, which have inordinately large influence control on most of the decision making in Bretton Woods institutions and uh, in in you know places like G7, where they were able to virtually keep uh, countries like Russia, China, India outside, even when they were adopted initially to become observers. So, in that sense, uh, that that. Uh, 19th century, 20th century uh, international system where United States and some of these Western nations had inordinately enormous advantage, leverage and power uh, is apparently becoming disruptive and coming into question because countries of Asia, China's uh, rise is unprecedented. It's a miracle in that sense of uh, just in 20 years from 1.3 trillion economy to 19 plus trillion economy demands that uh, China would have a larger space. India is now the fifth largest economy, going to become the third largest economy. International system must respond to these changes happening on the ground. And because these Western nations are, you know, apparently suspicious of their cloud, their influence is going to be undermined and challenged. Therefore, they have to sow seeds of contention and underline the differences rather than areas where these countries stand together in terms of their overarching vision. Uh, and in that sense, definitely there is an intentional uh, uh, ulterior motive in many of these commentaries coming from the West to only emphasize uh, the, the differences. I'm not saying that differences do not, ex- stay, uh, differences do not exist. Differences do exist. I mean, differences exist in any two countries between the United States and Britain even, which are supposed to be closest allies. But why to only emphasize on the negative points and differences, whereas there is also, there's a proof of a lot of very important things BRICS BRICS have done. They have set up in 2014 a new development bank, which has already sent loans of about $30 billion on various infrastructure projects and connectivity in in sort of uh, countries beyond even BRICS nations. They have set up a $100 billion contingency reserve for dealing with the liquidity issues and and volatility of uh, convertibility of currencies. Imagine the developed countries had promised way back in the Paris Climate Change Conference to set up a climate finance of $100 billion. Even today, they have not done it. So, you know, here is a demonstration of how BRICS nations have been able to take initiatives. And, you know, that is what particularly disrupts, disturbs some of these Western nations to see that you know, the kind of uh, investments that China today has around the world. China is, I think, 128 countries see themselves having China as their largest trading partner. India is perhaps going to replicate a similar story in coming decades. The international system must respond and give space to these countries, which are now increasingly becoming influential and acceptable around the world. But if, you know, G7 wants to continue to feel that they are the exclusive leaders of the world, despite the fact that their share in global GDP is shrinking, you know, BRICS share has gone up over a period of time. So unless Western nations are willing to accommodate and and streamline and make their international organizations far more equitable, these will be seen as parallel organizations. They will continue to demonstrate their capability to deliver and become increasingly attractive uh, groupings for several new nations, which we are seeing. If you look at all the 43 countries showing interest to join BRICS, they make about 85% of global population. What it means, that obviously disturbs Western nations, and therefore media is reflecting the fears that they have from BRICS becoming increasingly influential in future. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a short break. This is Road Today. We'll be back.
Welcome back to World Today with me, Ge Anna, in Beijing. Today we have a distinguished panel of experts here to delve into the significance, implications, and potential of the BRICS mechanism shaping the world order. They are Chen Weihua, Chief of China Daily EU Bureau and a former Chief Correspondent of Washington D.C. Swaran Singh, Professor of International Relations at Jawaharlal Nehru University, and Pearl Butlezi, South African journalist. Earlier, we talked about a stark contrast in perception of the breaks between Western media and the global South. Let's continue our discussion. A very encouraging news is that the summit has decided to bring in Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates six countries as new members. Weihua, what character do these new member countries share? Well, I would say it's very encouraging for the six new members. If you just look at Africa, South Africa is the only member at the moment. But soon we're going to invite the Egypt and the Ethiopia. I mean, two major players also are uh, in Africa and、uh, on the world stage too. And、uh, we have、uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, UAE. And、uh, just、um, uh, look at、uh, China actually broke、uh, this、uh, reconciliation peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and this is a region that has、uh, suffered greatly from wars actually in、uh, waged mainly by the U.S.、Uh, NATO members,、uh, starting from Iraq, Libya, just name it. I mean, even in Syria, and so. I think、uh, people in the world, actually, not just in the region, see the hope, the positive role played by China and other BRIC members,、uh, which actually has been calling for peace reconciliation. I would say. I think because China itself, the track record is very clean. I mean, they're not. Invaded, waged a war against any nation plus decades. I would say not involved in any wars. So I think、uh, this Argentina, of course, is a, a major country in Latin America. Brazil is the largest、uh, South American nation, but Argentina is a big. Uh, nation there too. I mean, these are just the beginning. If we look at the other Africans like、uh, Indonesia, it's it's a major economy in the world. It's going to be much much more important in the future. And the、uh, other country, the pipeline, I would say. So this uh, uh, shows uh, the attractiveness of this new grouping after the abuse of power. I would say by. The privilege of the G7 countries and the U.S. in particular. If you talk about、uh, how they sort of hijack the global system, forcing countries to choose side. The last, I would just briefly mention. I mean, if you look at、uh, this world today,、uh, the BRIC country. I mean, China. We are the countries calling for inclusiveness,、uh, open, free global trade, cooperation instead of a confrontation, and we oppose new code. The war. We oppose the、uh, dividing the world into different blocks. We called for different civilization to co- is- exist and cooperate. So that's a stark contrast to G7, which was、uh, often on the、uh, other side. Yes, according to South Africa, more than forty countries, including those I mentioned, expressed their interests in joining the BRICS. So, Pearl, what are the main contributing factors behind BRICS popularity, in your opinion? In what aspects do these new members align, making them the chosen countries to join the summit this time? Well, let's look at the first two countries on the African continent that have joined. We have Ethiopia. And、uh, Egypt. These are major、uh, economies on the continent. When you look at,、um, well, Egypt, which is、uh, the second biggest economy on the African continent, and another major economy is、uh, Ethiopia. And、uh, so, if you look at、uh, their economies, these countries they seem to be growing at a very fast pace. Uh, South Africa is number three on the continent, right after Egypt. So you have、uh, Ethiopia at number six as the sixth largest、uh, economy on the continent, and Ethiopia is also one of the fastest growing economies on the continent. 
And uh, when you look at so what's driving the, the Ethiopian economy, there's agriculture that they have going on for them. They have tourism uh, that's going on for them. It is where the headquarters of the African Union is located. And then you go to the Middle East where you see there is, uh, we mentioned Saudi Arabia, Iran, as well as the UAE. These countries, when it comes to oil, they are also a major producers uh, in oil. So what I'm interested to see is how their inclusion into BRICS will impact the petrodollar. I'm not saying there's going to be changes right away, but I'm going to be looking at what implication does that this have going forward on the petrodollar, because already we have seen that uh, there have been moves to to trade, especially in oil, to trade using uh, other currencies besides the dollar. So there is, uh, I guess, that appetite from these countries to explore new avenues, to explore alternatives to existing platforms or multilateral platforms that they are in or centers of influence. As we know that uh, Saudi Arabia has been a country that has uh, been close to the U.S., and now moving uh, or creating a new partners or strengthening new partnerships within the BRICS uh, block. And this is a very interesting development. We also see Iran, which has been heavily sanctioned by the United States. So now Iran is, is looking for new partners and they have found themselves coming or being welcomed by BRICS. So it's also another major move in terms of um, you know, for the country when it's looking to, I guess, um, strengthen its partnership with uh, other countries in the in the global south. We saw um, the president, uh, if I'm not mistaken, of Iran making a visit to African countries earlier this year. So there are moves to strengthen partnerships in the global south on the part of Iran. And then the UAE is also another major power when it comes to um oil reserves and so on. And then we have Argentina on the, in, in South America joining Brazil now as members of uh, two South American members of uh, BRICS. And Argentina, as mentioned earlier by the previous speakers, is a major power when it comes to uh, South America. Yes, currently the country is going through some strife when it comes to its economy and it has been facing challenges with the loans from the IMF. And so now what uh, Argentina is looking at is looking at alternatives because they want the freedom of uh, being able to get loans that will help the country build but uh, not have added pressure of uh, being tied to other conditions that may not agree with the development path of the country or development agenda of the country, which is what other countries have been complaining about when it comes to all these major um, financial platforms or financial structures that uh, they rely on currently. And so that's why we are seeing more countries showing interest in joining BRICS because they are seeing BRICS as an alternative in terms of um, pursuing their own development and they're seeing that BRICS is welcoming, is very inclusive and also promoting trade and cooperation among countries and uh, also in an equal way and not in a way that will make some countries seem subservient to others. And so this is what I think interesting about this group and uh, its growth going forward. We are going to see, uh, I think, major um, shifts happening. I think Pearl brought up a very hot topic around the summit that was the discussion of a BRICS currency. If we consider the new members, it's not difficult to see that the trade in local currencies has already begun among the members. India and UAE, China and Brazil, etc. Financial and monetary cooperation among the BRICS countries has been underway for many years already, starting from the various currency swap agreements signed between those countries, uh, all the way to the announcement of establishing the new development bank in 2014. 
So Weihua, we know a BRICS version of Euro remains a distant horizon. But how do you envision the next stage of financial and monetary cooperation within BRICS member states? Well, I think uh, you know no one in the BRICS uh, you know expect uh, they are going to be a BRICS currency very soon. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be a long process. That's just a reality because if you want to have a common currency, and that's not easy job. Uh, even you look at the euro, what uh, long past they have uh, endured. I think uh, the question is that it shows you just to listen to what uh, Brazilian President Lula said. He has been quite blunt, basically asking why Brazil trade with China or maybe other BRIC countries, third country must be conducted in the U.S. dollar. Why he asked such a question? Because the U.S. has been abusing such a power, it's a reserve currency. Look at uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict and how Russian assets are being frozen. I mean, how even Afghanistan's government as the poorest country in the world are being frozen by the United States. How U.S. weaponized its reserve currency. I mean, the financial system uh, kicked you out of the SWIFT system or others. It's... Uh, massive 32 trillion U.S. dollars in national debt just to keep printing the money. All these uh, make a chilling effect on everyone. Any country, I mean, even U.S. allies in Europe, if you look at, Paul mentioned the Iran nuclear deal, U.S. has threatened to sanction European country during Trump years. Uh, basically, Trump pulled out of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, but uh, European continued. Trump basically said, we'll punish you if you continue to trade with Iran. So you developed alternative mechanisms for the settlement. So this is the common problem faced by BRICS, uh, the whole global south, and actually the Europeans too. So I think it's going to be a long way, but the, you will see definitely in the coming years, decades, more and more trade being conducted uh, in their own currency. I mean, whether the Chinese yuan or the Indian ruby or, you know, Brazilian real, uh, others. But I think uh, they are going to, as you mentioned, the currency swap system. I think the finance minister, central bank governors uh, just had a meeting just a week ago. So they have a a statement laying out a lot of cooperation mechanisms. So this is all a step-by-step process, I think, towards, uh, I hope, ultimately a BRICS currency. But yes, this is a long uh, process. But uh, let's face it, I mean, these BRIC countries are going to be major players on the world stage. So they're deserving a more say and not uh, certainly uh, hijacked by, uh, manipulated, threatened by uh, the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. Pearl, how do you look at the eagerness among those developing countries or the surge in interest towards exploring uh, currency or currency alternatives to the U.S. dollar? Well, I think it's mainly the constraints that come with the use of the dollar in trading, especially. Most uh, Many countries have uh, been shackled by the fact that when Trump reinstated sanctions on Iran, a lot of companies in, in Europe were threatened with sanctions if they continued doing business with Iran. So if the, those are the shackles that um, even companies face without even being in, in a particular country that has fallen, I guess, uh, far with the Western countries, then uh, what countries are also looking at themselves, what if it's me next time, you know, what if it's our country next time? So what they are now starting to look at other alternatives. We've had Zimbabwe, a country which is a neighbor to South Africa that has been under sanctions for many years. And um, the population in Zimbabwe is struggling right now because people cannot uh, make ends meet due to the sanctions. Zimbabwe has expressed an interest in joining BRICS. Uh, You have Cuba, another country that was an applicant but uh, was not accepted this time around. But in the future, it's possible they will be accepted. And Cuba has been facing sanctions since the 1960s. And the people, the population over there has also faced a lot of difficulties uh, due to the sanctions. So you can see the thread there. 
countries that have though have been impacted by sanctions that are linked to the use of the dollar they are now saying if BRICS is offering us an alternative then why not join this group so that we can be able to trade amongst each other as countries in the global south without any hindrances and be able to support each other to lift our people in lifting our people out of poverty as China has done, China has been able to eradicate extreme poverty in this country. Uh, I am in Beijing right now. And uh, that process that um, that China has been able to achieve, other countries want to achieve that. They want to uh, see their population going or moving towards prosperity and out of poverty. And uh, so it seems like uh, they are or they believe that BRICS is the one that's offering them something new, something different from what they are used to right now. And so that's why I think we are going going forward, we're going to see more and more countries being welcomed in into the group. And I feel that, uh, I mean, right now, it was a good idea to take a the first batch of six countries rather than welcoming all 23 countries that had applied all of them at the same time because what i feel needs to be done is to strengthen the structures of breaks so that um, there are no challenges there's not a, a situation where you see unequal distribution of um, resources and so on so there needs to be further discussions as to how we um, the countries that are part of BRICS structure themselves and strengthen their structure, structures. And also the issue of uh, you know the financial system that is being spoken about, it's going to be investigated, researched by uh, ministers, finance ministers of uh, the current um, of the current members. But also what is interesting is that the finance ministers of the countries that have been welcomed into the group and uh, will become members from the 1st of January 2024, uh, it seems like they will be part of these discussions now because uh, the final report uh, proposal will be delivered at a later stage uh, I guess at the next, yes, at the next summit, as according to uh, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. And so that's interesting now that you have these major countries that are coming in, um, countries that um, have uh, these uh, big economies that will also now have a contribution as to how um, the, the financial system should be structured to allow for countries within BRICS to trade freely without uh, the constraints that come with the, the use of the dollar or using the dollar. And um, we saw the new development uh, bank's uh, president, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dilma Usof, saying that they are looking at um, lending um, loans to countries, uh, lending them in uh, the currencies, the local currencies, using local currencies. So this is the direction that I think BRICS countries are moving towards, but there needs to be a proper structure set up so that um, there aren't any hindrances when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, um, um, uh, improving the trade amongst uh, and making trade also easier amongst uh, member uh, countries as well as the, the partners that are not yet within BRICS. Yes, let's wait and see. Pearl, let's move on to the next topic on the China-South Africa relations. We know the Johannesburg Summit is the third time that South Africa is hosting the BRICS leaders. And for Chinese President Xi Jinping, it is his fourth state visit to South Africa. And during his meeting with South Africa President Ramaphosa, he described China-South Africa relations as comrades and brothers and a total of 11 bilateral agreements were signed as the result of this visit. So from your perspective, how do you understand the representation of the term comrades and brothers in China-South Africa relations today? Well, let's look at where this relationship comes from. It 
dates back in the days of uh, the liberation struggle in South Africa, uh, when South Africa was still under apartheid rule or the apartheid regime uh, that was pre-1994. And so China supported uh, uh, the liberation movement, which was led by the now current uh, ruling party, uh, the ANC, as well as other members or other liberation organizations. So there was that link and uh, the ANC at the time, even currently, is, is a has an alliance with the South African Communist Party. So they do have that link uh, that was established back in those years. And so once um, the South Af the ANC took over power, won the, the first uh, democratic uh, elections in 1994 and took over power, that relationship between uh, China now and uh, the, then now the government which was led by the ANC, you saw that relationship uh, growing stronger and uh, you saw trade links also deepening between the two countries. When you look at um, uh, the period between 1996 and 2021, the trade between the two countries grew at about 16% during that period. And uh, when you look also, the president of uh, China penned a, a, a lengthy um, article, uh, which was published in South Africa, where he spoke about a golden era in the relationship between China and South Africa. And uh, what that signified uh, was that he was saying this relationship is now getting new momentum or and this recognition that there needs to be a deepening of the relationship between the two countries. I mean, the relationship between China and South Africa has evolved uh, from just being a partnership to being a strategic partnership. And now we have what they call um, the comprehensive strategic partnership between the two countries. So the two countries have always moved to make their bond even stronger, whether it's through trade or it is uh, through just, you know, people-to-people -people exchanges. Uh, we've seen uh, more South Africans coming from uh, South Africa to China to work, either to study or work in China. China has also supported BRI programs that South Africa has undertaken I think going forward, there will be some efforts to ensure that, you know, whatever effort is put in place, it does um, deliver, especially to the people on the ground. I just want to add briefly, uh, you know, sort of a personal perspective, because from China, I was a generation born in the 1960s. I can testify. I'm a witness of how, what do you call the, you know, comrade brotherhood uh, with South Africa. I started as a young child. I know the hero, Nelson Mandela, as the mm -hmm. hero for the Chinese people and the, the Chinese people. As a child, we all supported the struggle against the regime. So that has been, just remember, the U.S. some Western country regarded the Nelson Mandela at the time as a terrorist. So that shows the difference. And China has supported the struggle of African people, South African, since the very beginning. So that's just uh, what a lot of people don't understand this part of the history. You know, we are indeed brothers. That's why not just with the South African people, but with all African people. That's the history. Weihua, speaking of China-Africa relations, the trade volume between China and Africa for the first seven months of this year reached 1.14 trillion yuan, which reflects a positive momentum in the uh, pragmatic cooperation between the two sides. But this relationship has been drawing more attention from the global community, including the West, because they doubt about the nature of this cooperation from debt trap to accusations of new colonialism. What's your take? What's the essence of China-Africa relations, in your opinion? Well, I think uh, the Western nonsense <laughs> has been going on for a long time uh, to smear uh, China. I always argue whether the U.S., the Europe, and the European Union if you think you can build infrastructure, bridge, road, high-speed rail better than China, then build it and show China. Set example. Just don't 
indulging this smear campaign. Actually, those、uh, criticisms are often by the Western nations, not by Africa. Didn't come from Africa. China, unlike、uh, the Western nations. Don't never interfere in others' internal affairs. I mean, that's all foreign policy. We don't touch strings that you have to、uh, to interfere others'、uh, sovereignty. You know, it's very interesting. I I think back、uh, in my years in the U.S., there was uh, this uh, Kenyan foreign minister came and、uh, he basically said that's、uh, how efficient Chinese.、Uh, Development aid help,、uh, whether the World Bank or others、uh, multilateral、uh, lending institution, they would take years, years to even for a feasibility study. During those years, actually, China already helped、uh, Kenya, the African countries,、uh, completed the project.、Uh, that's the China speed that we have been witnessed、uh, over the last、uh, years, decades. Look at its own development trajectory in the last,、uh, say, four plus decades. It see like Africa has the same potential to replicate the success. After the summit, President Xi Jinping also met a series of African leaders. He also co-chaired the dialogue between Chinese and African leaders with the Romafosa. So, given what had been talked about, Pearl, how would you define the core nature of China-Africa relations, and how do you foresee their ties in the coming years? I have to agree that you know it seems like、uh, there are endless opportunities of actually growing this relationship between China and Africa, and I think the foundation has been laid through the BRI as well as、um, the Forum on China-Africa. Cooperation. So there are platforms where you see engagements that have actually brought a lot of、um, infrastructure developments in many countries across、uh, Africa, whether it's in Ethiopia or in Nigeria or in the small country called Djibouti, or whether it's in South Africa or Zimbabwe. You do see the development that has taken place、uh, through the Belt and Road Initiative, and、uh, now we. You saw the president of China, Xi Jinping, announced the opening of what's called the Green Lanes, where China is encouraging the exports of、uh, agricultural products. From Africa into the Chinese markets, and、uh, through the BRICS、um, group, for African countries to be able to have a chance to have.、Uh, Their agendas addressed, and also be able to get,、uh, I guess, trade opportunities with、uh, the major BRICS countries like China. Thanks, Pearl, and thanks to all of our guests for their enlightening perspectives on the future of the BRICS and its potential impact on global dynamics. That's all the time for this edition of World Today with me, Anna. Thank you so much for staying with us. Bye for now. <laughs>